Ephesus is written with those people in mind and he writes to instruct them, to encourage them. Uh, very often Paul's letters usually were sort of a rap on the knuckles. The book of Corinthians is a, is a, is a large part of where he's correcting what was wrong in the church. And there are other books where Paul is always admonishing the believers to a higher, greater standard of living. But the book of Ephesians is really one of constant encouragement. And Paul continuously draws the parallel of here I am in prison. I don't think he was just letting them know, you guys, you know, I'm in prison because of you. So you better live your life good. You know, I'm paying a great price. But also I think he was drawing a comparison of how even though you can be challenged and living in challenging circumstances, you can know who you are and be who God has called you to be. And so here was a church completely free from any restraints. And he's saying, don't live your life like that. Live to a higher standard for, because of what Jesus has done for you. We are picking up in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And my message title for this morning is United and Free. There are two themes here in Ephesians 4. One is a theme of unity, where Paul is calling the church and its people to live and to coexist together and in the city in unity. And the other one, I believe, he begins to address the unity of self. In us coming to terms with who we are and who God has called us to be. And for us coming to terms with that and beginning to live our lives well. And I believe that the unity of the body of Christ is critical to the church being mature and presenting itself as it should in a city. But every church, the body of Christ is made up of individuals. And if the individual is not at peace with himself, if the person of you and me is disunited in ourselves, we cannot be united when we come together. Do you understand that? And so there are two things that we see. He talks about the unity of the church and the church being united, and we'll unpack that. But then he also addresses the, the behavior, the attitudes, the mindset of the believer. And he says, listen guys, get it together. Because when I get my life together, when I come together, we can work together. Isn't that good? And so often, so much of our time is trying to be united with one another. I love you in the love of the Lord and praise the Lord, I love you. And then we turn our backs on somebody and think, God, they're so horrible. I hate those brothers. I hate that sister. Do you see there's a, a, a disparity, there's confusion, there's conflict between what we express publicly to what we are privately. And you know what? God is more concerned about how we behave privately than how we behave. It doesn't mean to say you can do what you want publicly. But if your private life, if your personal life, if your hidden life is right, it expresses itself best in the public arena. And so the importance for us to live our lives with the right Christian virtues, attitudes, and behavior when nobody is watching is what makes us and qualifies us to live together in unity within the body of Christ. Now, say this, when I'm one with myself, I can be at one with one another. There is an overarching theme Paul is addressing here in this part of the letter to the church in Ephesus. The theme is one of unity. It is a theme and a call to live and love as one. 
Though there are differences, we must be willing to lay aside our differences for the sake of unity in, in the greater virtue of righteous living in the Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now remember, in the, in the church of Ephesus, there were two great Ephesus. There were two, uh, uh, two uh, ethnic groups or two groups of people. There were the Jews that had come to know Jesus Christ. And then there were the Gentiles. And the Jews somehow thought they were a little closer to Jesus and the Gentiles because all their life the Gentiles had always been kept outside of the temple. That was their experience in relating to Jews spiritually and religiously. And now they were all together and we know in the body of Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are all one. Whatever your background is, whatever your social standing is, the great unifying factor is Jesus Christ. Amen. And so you could be a zamindar. And I could be a jaruwali or jaruwala. But when we come into the body of Christ, when you come into the light, and I come into the light of Jesus Christ, my zamindari does not make me any better than my jaruwala status. Because I am made one in Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Financially, uh, with your status, with our cultural backgrounds, our upbringings, nothing makes you better than me. The great equalizer is our need for God's forgiveness. Our need that every one of us are wretched sinners saved by the grace of God and His mercy is what allows us to live our lives freely. His grace is what empowers us. And so when we as Christians begin to understand that, and that is something that we must learn, especially in a society where status is so important. Log kya bolinga. Which is why I say in our church, every chair is a VIP seat, especially the ones at the back. <laughs> The very important people seem to sit on those chairs. Every chair, no, every chair is a VIP seat. There is no front row uh, magic or, you know, special seating. Yes, we honor people, we respect people, and, you know, you give honor where honor is due, but there is that basic culture of love and respect and honor for every individual that God has created. Amen. Whatever your orientation is, whatever your belief is, whoever you are, wherever you've come from, single, married, divorced, married three times, whatever. However you walk through these doors and you say, I want to be part of the body of Christ, here you will be accepted. Amen. And we need to rise up in today's world and learn to absorb and learn to love people like Jesus loved people. I want us to read from the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and, and verse 2. And Tabitha is going to read uh, from verse uh, chapter 4 and verse 2 from the NLT. And I'll read it from the Message Bible. Would you do Thank you so much, Tabitha. Now that is the familiar translation that was very familiar to our years. Let me read you a more modern little translation of the very same text in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2. It says, I want you to get out there and walk Better yet run. On the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline. Not in fits and starts. But steadily 
pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You were called to travel on the same road and the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is pre-mediated with oneness. I love this translation that is so literal and practical. It's a clear call for us. It's like, how many of you have been on a train journey, a long train journey? Where you're sharing your berth and your seat and your coop with thousands of other people, the chaiwala, the wade, 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 all of them, wherever they are, they all come through. And on your journey, all these different people come through when it's lunchtime, they come with thali, thali, you know, whatever. All different kinds of people interact with you on your journey. But there's a whole bunch of people that you know when you walk into that six-seater booth or eight-seater booth that you're going to spend the next 24 hours or 48 hours or 36 hours with this bunch. And come on, each one of us suss them out. Okay, what do they look like? What are they, I'm going to have to sleep with them, wake up with them, total strangers, right? And sometimes I've been on trains where you have a Gujarati family and out comes all the Gujarati, I mean lunchtime is great with the Gujarati family because you know they pack all the... I don't know what all those things are, but they all smell good. And there's us little Anglo-Indian family sandwiches, cup of coffee and tea. And it's, it's great fun. I mean, there's a there's, there's sudden oneness that comes upon all of us. As long as you're not, non or ve you're not, not separated by uh, veg or non-veg. As long as you're all veg. I mean, they, they, they can have your coffee and you can have their mouth-watering, whatever they take out. And then comes out the sweet. And, and there's just so much fun, right? Even though we are so different and we eat different, we look different, we talk different, there's that just by virtue of being on that train for the next 36 hours, my attitude's going to be, boy, I need to love you. I need to just accept you for what you are. And that's what Paul is saying. We're on this journey together in Jesus Christ. We've all got our tickets to the same destination. The price has been paid by Jesus. So stop Oh, I don't like his Gujarati food. Oh, I don't like their sandwich. Oh, look, it's only butter, tomato, and cheese. Is that food? I mean, just, you know, whatever it is, just eat the darn thing. It's good for you. More than all those things, just be united that we are human beings, that we are all on the same journey going together. And yeah, maybe I'll, I'll snore in my sleep, you know, and it's going to disturb you. Well, you know, put something in your ears and sleep through my snoring. You know, and maybe worse things happen in the middle of the night, but we won't talk about that. But, you know, we just keep going because we are in this together. There are differences. There's points of irritation and frustration with who you are and how you behave. But basically, get on. Pull it together. Make it happen and live as one. Because when you get to heaven, you can fly away. <laughs> but until then, live together as one. And so Paul is calling the church, with all its differences, to live in unity. And I'm calling us here at life. We all come from different backgrounds. And I love it when we have our, our fellowship meals and our banquets and, you know, 
the Goans bring their Goan stuff and the Anglo-Indians bring their Anglo-Indian stuff and the Gujarati people bring their Guju stuff and uh, the North Indians bring their... And it all comes together and everyone's going like, wow, this is heaven. Well, it is heaven. It's a taste of what heaven is like. And so we must learn to love and accept each other, not just when it comes to food, but when it comes to our mood of accepting, receiving one another just as we are. Because when we do that, we create a bond of unity and love that transcends anything and everything. Amen? Amen? Can we seek to do that at life? It, we don't build fences. Instead, we build bridges. We build bridges to connect with you. I want to get a little, to know a little bit more about your culture. I want to get to know a little about where you came from. You need to get to know a little bit about me because when we do, we appreciate who we are and what each other is. I, we went to Goa recently and uh, we've had so many Goan folk in our church and I'd never been to Goa. And I felt the guilt and condemnation and the look I'd get. No, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. But I, I really just wanted to go to experience. Everyone says you got to go to Goa and I eventually made it to Goa. And in our second trip to Goa, we went to this wonderful Goan museum. And I learned so much about the roots of the Goan people and how their names from Ram became Romeo and how their names from Krish, uh, from uh, I don't know, something else from uh, some Indian name became Rodriguez and that transition is a beautiful story that was told. I began to appreciate the variety and the differences that exist between us. And so when we do that, we begin to see people like Jesus sees us, loving one another. But you know, it doesn't happen easily, right? It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of choosing and determining to reach out and to build bridges rather than to build walls. When there is self-importance, the love of office and power, and the craving for applause, we can never build unity. But when we lay all that aside, when we put that away, we can keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so Paul is encouraging uh, the church to do that. He said, we must be faithful to one another, but the only enemy that we have is sin. Sometimes our enemies are people. People that disappoint us. People that hurt us. People that offend us. And each of you have a long list of those kind of people. But you know, some of them are Christians. Some of them are family who don't know Jesus. Some of them are your neighbors. But whoever they are, especially if they are within the body of Christ, the Bible says, the only enemy that we are allowed to have is to be en the enemy of sin. But we are to love one another. Put up with each other. Bear with one another. And so when we understand that, we begin to live our lives in maturity. We can live our lives with unity. And with, we can move in the right direction and achieve everything that God wants us to. Now I began by saying that unless we are at one with ourselves, we cannot expect ourselves to be at one with one another. And I believe that is very critical. It is very critical because unless we begin to understand and know who we are and love for who we are, it's very hard for us to express that love to one another. And so in Ephesians chapter 20, 420, Paul changes his approach and he says, that however, 
is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ Jesus, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Everybody say, put off your old self. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your mind. Everybody say, attitude of my mind. And to put on the new self. Everybody say, put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Being, all right. And so there's this, these two extremes. Paul says, don't live like you used to before. But now that you're in Christ Jesus, put on the attitude, the mind and the thoughts of Christ. And put off, first, sorry, put off your old self, your behaviors, your attitudes. And put on, as he says, you were taught. Now let me just share something, a bit of a, I'm getting onto my soapbox right now, all right? So imagine a soapbox, that's what I'm going to do. And so here's my thing. For years I have been in very good churches. And for most of the churches, what I have always discovered is that I was always told what I needed to do. I was always instructed and how and what I needed to do. You need to live your life free. You need to treat people with respect. You need to do this. You need to do that. And for most of my life as a young believer, I was very frustrated because I was always told what the standard was, but no one really taught me how to achieve it. You get it? So it's a bit like giving you the keys to an aeroplane and say, go fly the aeroplane. And you think, wow, I've got an aeroplane. I was Where always the steering wheel. Oh, aeroplanes don't have steering wheels, by the way. I didn't know that. But you're looking for things that were not there, are not meant to be there. And that's what it's like in our faith. And for years, I believe teachers and leaders have simply told people what to do. Paul makes a big shift. Jesus never told us what to do. He showed us how to live. Amen. Big difference. And there's a difference between being told and being taught. And here at Life, what I do with anyone that I interact with, wherever they are, whether they're in the church or on the street, driving badly, I seek not to tell them off, but to try and teach them. And so here at Life, everything we do is in that focus. Not just to tell you what you need to be doing, but how do I do it? Isn't that good? So to be told something is to communicate information to someone in spoken or written words. It's a bit like you receiving a handbook to build a piece of furniture and you're not looking at it at all and just going ahead to follow your own instructions and that's what most people do. To be taught is to impart knowledge or to instruct someone as to how to do something. And so Paul says here, I'm not telling you to live your life better. I am encouraging you as I taught you to live your life. Live it better. Big difference. Big difference. And so my encouragement to you is that you will learn. Now, when somebody needs to be taught, there has to be a relationship of agreement. But when somebody is being told, there is no need for a, a, a relationship of agreement. Very different. 
I can tell you right now something about yourself. I can tell you off. There is no agreement. It is me delivering instruction, information to you. It's like sometimes you go to churches and you ask people, do you mind please moving seats? And everyone just... I'm not moving. And then he said, please, I'd really like you to move seats. Just move one down. You're not telling me what to do. But if we had agreed that if there are empty seats, at some point when I give an instruction that you would move seats, then everyone is committed to following through. You with me? And so for us in our relationship with learning God's word, we don't operate from a place of being told. God doesn't tell you. God shows you. He teaches you. His Holy Spirit is there to show you how to be who Jesus wants you to be. Amen. The role of us as leaders, the fivefold ministry, the leadership of the church, in all that it's doing is not to tell people off, but to teach them. Because when you are taught, you will always catch what you need to catch. Amen. And so it's important to impart knowledge, to impart understanding and information and cause someone to learn something by example or experience. And as a church at large, the ministry of the word has simply focused on telling people what to do and not how to do it. Just because I have told you to do something, it does not mean to say you have caught it. But if we work in a spirit of agreement to learn and you are taught a truth, it will be caught. Amen? And so Paul is saying to the church, he says, listen guys, in the earlier verse, stop stealing. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop doing all these things. Do you think Paul was talking to unbelievers? He was talking to people that said, praise the Lord, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, yes I do. But they were cheating, they were stealing, they were lying, they were living sexually impure lives, they were into everything that was sinful. And Paul is not saying, you wretched, horrible, he's just saying, guys, give it up, give it up. You've been called to live in the light, stop lying, stop cheating, and you're cheating one another. Hello, are you with me? But I thought I was saved. Yes, you can be saved, but you can also be naughty at the same time. And so Paul is saying, stop behaving like you used to before you know Jesus. Begin to change how you live your life. And when you do, the light of Jesus will shine on you. What is taught is only caught when there is a spirit of agreement and unity. I can claim to be united with Jesus Christ and also live in sin. And Paul says that's not on. He says that's not the unity that Jesus wants. That's not what we are called to be. Sin separates us from living truthfully and free. The Bible calls us to live free from sin, but understands that we cannot live life sin free. Big difference. And so you get the self-righteous person. I'm so good. You, my God, you are so bad. 
We kind of set ourselves up to be holier than somebody else. We judge people for the way they dress. We judge them for the length of their hair, their earrings, what they wear. What they, we judge them. You know what that judgment is? It's self-righteousness. It's saying that I'm better than you. And there's no room for that in the body of Christ. Now, why is there no room for that? Look at 1 John chapter 1. This, in essence, is the message we heard from Christ and are passing on to you. God is light, pure light. There's not a trace of darkness in Him. If we claim that we experience a shared life with Him and continue to stumble around in dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. Who is John talking about? The believer. We are not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experienced a shared life with one another as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's son, purges us of all sin. So Paul, the book of John is not saying to us, listen, you're such a holy person now that you've come to Jesus. I don't remember the last time that you lied. I can't remember the last time that you had an evil thought. You're so good. You're so good. You're such a good person. Now he's saying, listen, don't fool yourselves. Don't pretend that you love Jesus so much and you claim to be one with Jesus, but you're behaving like something else. But if I walk in the light, I see myself for who I am. There is no condemnation. I am work in progress. Amen. But if we claim that we are free of sin, we are only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins. Do you know what? You might think I'm sweet as sugar, but really, there's some sharp edges to me. I'm still working on my attitude. I'm still learning the power of forgiveness. I'm still learning how not to manipulate the truth. I'm still learning to be more honest than I was yesterday. But I'm choosing those roots rather than my old way of life. And when you do, on the other hand, if we admit our sins, make a clean breast of them, He won't let us down. He'll be true to Himself. What will Jesus do? He will forgive you of your sin and purge you of all wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God and make a liar out of Him. A claim like that only shows off our ignorance of God. To walk in the light is to walk in an understanding of, a great, of our great need for the grace and the mercy of God. To understand that we are totally dependent on God for all things. To live in the light it means that we are truthful and honest with ourselves and who we are. With where we are in our walk of faith. And the truth of God's word liberates us to freedom. Amen. It brings us out of darkness 
into a place called freedom, which is light. So how can we, we live united and free? When we know that Jesus has forgiven us of all our sin, when we live our lives in the light of God's word and in his presence, and we know, God, that you have saved us from sin and the consequence of sin, but I'm still having to work through the nature of sin in my life, my old way. And if I'm honest with myself, God forgives me. Isn't that amazing? Who forgives you when you're honest with yourself? God forgives you. He'll forgive you of all your sin and purge you of all wrongdoing. Isn't God good? So when Paul calls us to a place of unity, the unity is for us to come to an understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus and to live our lives well. Because when we come together, we can be united as the body of Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. I'm going to end with this. He says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Let's pray.